Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bounds. On this week's show, we are headed to the theatre, but we haven't paid €300 or pounds to sit somewhere near the back of a middling musical, Fear Not. On the eve of the world's biggest arts festival, the Edinburgh Fringe, we'll be exploring the land of sometimes weird and often wonderful theatre today. The immersive, experimental and, yes, the musical included. First up, we'll be heading to an immersive retelling of the story of the fall of Troy and we'll be hearing from the world's leading immersive theatre company, Punch Drunk about their craft. Then we're looking up to the Athens of the North as theatre reviewer Natasha Tripney walks us through what to expect if you're heading to this year's Edinburgh Fringe and which shows are well worth some rain-soaked queuing. And finally on today's show we've got a flavour of the Fringe, an audio treat provided by comedian and musical maverick Jazz Emu. It concerns a robot that brings the funk and that's all we'll say for now. Now, rather than merely breaking the fourth wall, it is time to tear it down as we step into the world of punch-drunk theatre. Monocle's Alexis Self tells us more. The immersive theatre company Punch Drunk Enrichment was founded in the year 2000 by Felix Barrett. But I was first made aware of it in 2013, when the group put on the play The Drowned Man in London. That show as I would later discover, bore many of the hallmarks of a punch-drunk production. It was performed in a large, abandoned industrial building next to London's Paddington Station. It was intricately set-designed and had the feel of a Hollywood noir. All heavy curtains, crystalline whiskey tumblers and the Shangri-Las. As soon as I walked in, I was hooked. As were many others. The Drowned Man became a sensation, running for many months and eventually catapulting its producers over the Atlantic to New York, where they put on Sleep No More, another noirish production, this time an adaptation of Macbeth in another inner-city abandoned building. Now, after nine years away, Punch Drunk is back in its hometown for another original production that draws heavily on the past. The Burnt City tells the fictitious, or at least I think it's fictitious, story of an explorer who attempts to uncover the lost city of Troy and opens both a very real and metaphorical Pandora's box. It is their most ambitious production yet, taking place over 100,000 square feet in two conjoined warehouses in the South London area of Woolwich. On a balmy evening, I travelled to the play on London's newest mass transit system, the Elizabeth Line, which hurtled me at high speed into the future before I stepped back into the past. A few days after the show, I sat down by the river on the grass outside Punch Drunk's new home with the company's artistic director, Felix Barrett, and chief choreographer, Maxine Doyle. I started by asking them about the site and how they came to occupy it. When I was first out of university and Punchdown was only like sort of, you know, a year old, I was ringing around every council in London trying to find empty buildings. And uh, we actually used to walk, get an A to Z pre-smartphones and walk every road in zone one to four to find every single empty building, ring them up and see if we could do a show on them. I'd seen 
Woolwich Arsenal then. Someone said, oh, you should go see Woolwich Arsenal. I took one look at it, just the scale of it was just overwhelming. I said, we've only got a budget of two and a half grand. And that was 20 years ago. And then about six, seven years ago, we had one of the team was just doing another sort of space hunt. You know, as a company, we can't really work without a theatre to perform in. And here's our theatre. Suddenly the space that had been dormant 20 years ago, they were now trying looking for a, a pathway to regeneration. I think even then Woolwich Works was just wasn't consolidated as an idea but then as we've been talking this plan has happened and you know the art center here has occurred so we sort of managed to sort of surf that wave of yeah Woolwich's transformation into you know if they want to make it a cultural hotspot because southeast London is probably slightly under provided for that was about six seven years ago and then it's taken this long to actually do the deal raise the money transform the space which is probably with COVID has taken three years. I mean, actually the actual scenic build, the, the scenic transformation, just the theatrical part. I mean, first of all, we had to build the theatre, build the rooms within the theatre and then put the show in. The show part was only six months. So it's been quite a sort of crazy undertaking. So it's such a relief that we're finally here and it's on and, and here we are. Just to go back to the story, some of the characters like Iphigenia and Clytemnestra will be familiar to audiences. But do you believe a basic knowledge of, of Aeschylus and Euripides is essential to understanding the play? That's such an interesting question because we find ourselves debating this daily. I mean, in theory, no, it should be enough that you can pick up and understand the stories that are happening based on your encounters with these characters. That said, in all honesty, and it's interesting because we're actually reconceiving it today, we've realised that actually the, these stories aren't that familiar. It's useful if people are armed with some context and some information, at least two characters are on basic sort of plot lines. So actually we're working on a kind of family tree introduction really that people will discover on their way into the, in, the, way into the show. And we're also putting some more um, information on the website. So, so people, if they want to have, if they want to have some more information about the stories and understand them, then that's available. That said, you know, I think the work in some some ways can be its strongest if you just come and surrender any sort of uh, need for any intellectual or psychological connections. And if you just treat your presence as an audience in, in it as a kind of dream world, so then you just bounce from story to story and character to character. Yeah, you know, I sometimes wonder that maybe the fact is we're known as theatre and when we, yeah. our origins are actually really in contemporary dance and probably performance art, like art installation. art installation. And if you treat it like a, you're coming to a gallery, you don't need narrative or you just, you know, you, you draw on your own experience and your own being. So it's funny how we've noticed the audience frustrated, they don't know what's going on. It's like, it, sh it shouldn't actually matter. Hello, it's me again. I've immersed myself in the audio I think this is a good moment to offer my own interpretations of the punch-drunk experience, to respond to Felix's words that the purpose of punch-drunk is to subdue and allure. I would say that purpose is achieved. Punch-drunk is a good name for it, because that's how you feel when you come out. This isn't Chekhov. You don't go to immersive theatre to laugh, or really to cry, but rather to feel in the more immediate sense. Before I went to The Drowned Man, back in 2013, I'd never felt that way from theatre. After I went, I noticed a number of similar immersive theatre experiences seemingly popping up around London. 
companies such as You, Me, Bum Bum Train and Secret Cinema. And I wanted to ask Felix and Maxine if they felt these other companies were inspired by or even imitating what they had achieved with Punch Drunk. I've always thought it was like in a line of, you know, there were the happenings in the 60s. Yeah. Then in the 90s, when I was at school, uh, I was inspired by you know, De La Garda and then Deborah Warner. And there, were, there was definitely sort of site-based experiential work happening. I think what's interesting is that when we started making work, the press sort of categorised it and gave it its own header, which was the, the eye immersive. And that's the sort of... the, the and maybe it became popularised. But I think it's great. There, I mean, we've had, there are a few people who sort of um, do things that are quite similar. You know, there have been a couple of companies in, I think, South Africa and Russia where the audience have been put in masks that are quite similar to ours. I mean, I, I'm inspired by the yeah. art and the projects that I've seen. And I think it's just, yeah, people are inspired by what we do, and that's fantastic. And I think, like, all power to the next generation. Punch Drunk's artistic director Felix Barrett and chief choreographer Maxine Doyle there in conversation with Monocle's Alexis Self. This week marks the start of the month-long Edinburgh Fringe Festival, an overwhelming and audacious celebration of arts and culture that takes over the city every August. I caught up with Natasha Tripney, reviews editor at The Stage, to find out about her picks for what to watch this year. <laughs> Natasha, it's lovely to have you on the programme, ripping you away from your busy schedule, I'm sure, or preparing for your busy schedule at Edinburgh this year. Now, you've mentioned Summerhall, which seems like a supremely busy venue for you and others this year. Can you set the stage, literally, and tell us about the Summerhall venue? You've chosen three productions there this year. Yeah, so Summer Hall is one of Edinburgh's newer spaces. It's a former veterinary college, so it's a really atmospheric space with lots of rooms that used to serve various purposes in the veterinary college. So there are old anatomy theatres. And it has a really interesting programme of work, a mixture of physical theatre, experimental theatre, new writing. It's also got a fantastic courtyard where artists and audiences tend to congregate and discuss what's going on at the Fringe. So it's a venue with a real buzz about it. Oh, sounds great. Haunted by docked dogs' tails and <laughs> and would-be lizards and all the rest of it. Sounds like it's got sort of drama seeping through its veins. Talking of which, kind of, we're going to start off, at least in the, in the vegetable kingdom, with your first choice, which is sap. Now, this sounds like a great thing. I'll just give listeners the last line of the description from Summerhall. This is a new play based on an old myth about passion, power and photosynthesis. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds too good to be true. So tell us a little bit, a bit about Sat, Natasha. Yeah, so this is a piece of new writing by a woman called Raffaella Marcus, who's actually a director, but this is her sort of foray into playwriting. It's been hot-tipped by a number of people who saw it. There was an early performance in the Volts Festival before the pandemic, so it's had a good momentum behind it. It's also been performed in The Roundabout, which is a sort of pop-up venue, which is within Summer Hall, but within the courtyard. So that's a really atmospheric space within itself and is being produced by uh, Atticist and Ellie Keel Productions and they have a really good track record of bringing new writing, sort of exciting new work to the fringe. So there's lots of things about it that make it sound like it's going to be one of the shows to watch. 
Okay, it sounds triffidy and lovely. That's <laughs> sap at the Summer Hall. Your next choice in the same venue is called Feeling Afraid, like something terrible is going to happen. So give us a little bit of the prissy of this one and, and where this one comes from, Natasha. Okay, so this is again, it's another piece of new writing by a playwright called Marcela dos Santos. It's a play about a stand-up comedian who is going through some dark stuff. It's a one-man show, and those tend to work really well in that roundabout space, which is performed in the round, so you've got the audience all around the performer. And the actor who's performing it is um, Samuel Barnett, who was in the History Boys. He played Posner in Alan Bennett's History Boys, both on stage and in the film version of that. He's done a lot of TV as well. He was in Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, and he was in the recent Four Lives on the BBC. And he's like a really strong performer in a one-man show setting so I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with that material. It sounds great and also an intriguing thing this is obviously a dramatic production not a comedic production Mm. but the two are sort of cheek by jowl in Edinburgh all the time so seeing a dramatic production about a dark-hearted stand-up or a a stand-up experiencing a bit of a dark period in their life is a funny one perhaps obviously drawing more than one type of crowd I suppose as well perhaps. Absolutely. I think that's going to be a real factor in in a festival that's full of comedians. Having a play about a comedian is a really nice idea. And it's also being produced by Francesca Moody, who produced Fleabag. So she knows what she's doing in terms of dark comedy. Wonderful. Okay, so that is called Feeling Afraid Like Something Terrible is going to happen. Natasha's second choice at Summerhall. And finally, at the same venue, About Money which reading the press was interesting. I forgot about this. There was a, it sort of a part of it was inspired by the McDonald's strikes of 2018, which I can remember. But tell us a little bit about about money, Natasha. Yeah, this is a slightly different sort of tone of piece. It's inspired by the McDonald's strikes of 2018, where workers protested about zero hours contracts. And I feel that a lot of work at this year's fringe is dealing with precarity with people struggling financially and it just feels a very apt thing to be talking about at the moment of course it's also about kinship carers so that's people who are looking after family members and how often they don't receive enough support financially to do that it's a young Glasgow company who so it's work by Scottish artists and I feel that there's going to be quite a lot of socially engaged work at the fringe this year yeah, it sounds like that. I mean, the, the, out of the three, you've chosen sort of cuts to the quick of, of, of something that we might go on to, to, to talk about. In fact, Natasha, the cost of putting on a show and simply mm. staying in the city of Edinburgh during festival season. We, we might talk about that before the end. Um, your next choice, we're moving venue and we're going to the Underbelly, which I'm sure lots of people will, have least, uh, will at least have heard of wherever they are around the world. It's, it's a sort of key festival venue. This one is called Blanket Ban. And again, this has got, it sounds kind of funny, but also eminently socially engaged as well, this one. Yeah, this is a really interesting sounding piece. It's by a company called Chalkline Theatre, and it's a winner of the Untapped Award, which brings new work up to Edinburgh and supports artists. And it's about it's about abortion. Uh, it's particularly about Malta, and Malta has one of the most restrictive abortion laws, I think, in the world. It has a total blanket ban on abortion and so the theatre makers they've conducted lots of interviews with people who've been affected by this it's an exploring how Malta can have these very restrictive abortion laws and yet be quite progressive in other respects so it's looking at that contradiction too and I just think with everything that's happening with Roe v Wade in the States and this is a, a, a topic that's on a lot of people's minds and it feels like this show is going to be 
exploring that in, in, in a way that's really valuable, looking at how abortion laws affect women in Europe as well as in the US. When I set that up as being funny, it's just because the opening line of this summary says, Malta, colon, Catholic kitsch, golden sun, deep blue sea, Eurovision, and a blanket ban on abortion. And maybe it's just the way they wrote it that makes it perhaps sound a little bit more comedic than it might, might be in actuality. I think it's going to have some comedy. Like I think it is exploring that contradiction that they, and I think it will do that in a way that is like amusing and eye-opening. Yeah, I think you're right there. Yeah, Shirley Valentine on a different island. Yeah, and your your final choice, Natasha, is at Zoo Southside, keeping it in the animal kingdom, as you have so often during today's <laughs> summary of what's on it in Edinburgh. This is called Every Word Was Once an animal. This is a great title, great sounding venue. What is this one? This is by a company, and I apologise in advance for my pronunciation of their name, but they're called Entre en Gerd. They are a Belgian theatre company, and there is less international work on the fringe this year than there has been in years past. I think, suspect for a, a number of factors have made it uh, less viable. But this, this Belgian company has been bringing work to the fringe for over a decade. They are formally experimental. They make exciting, really kind of memorable shows that sort of play around with what theatre can be and what it can do. So oh, I don't know much about this new show. The description is intentionally cryptic. I've seen a lot of their work in the past and like no show is like another show. They did one called The Smile of Your Face a few years ago where they blindfolded audience members and they led you through this space and sort of fed you Turkish delight. They did another show which was like a kind of speed dating show where you ended up in these really quite quasi-intimate experiences with the actors. They are constantly experimenting and making work that really makes you think about the potential of theatre. Yeah, it sounds good. I'm glad that you didn't have sort of particularly hot take on their summary either, because I read what might be the same one. And I was like, a man walks up to a mic, a person walks up to a microphone and talks. And I was like, okay, they're playing their cards close to their chest. All of their shows have some kind of reveal or some kind of, they're never what they seem to be. And I think that's why they're exciting. Nice. So that is Every Word Was Once an Animal. That's at the zoo south side. I know you wanted to draw our listeners' attention to the programme at the Lyceum this year as well, Natasha. A bit like maybe with Summerhall, maybe you can um, set a scene for our, our listeners as to, as to what that venue is and its importance at the, at the, at the festival. The Royal Lyceum is one of Edinburgh's year-round venues, so it's not a festival venue in the conventional sense. It's a really beautiful building, and the artistic director there is the playwright David Gregg. And this year, for the first time, they're staging Fringe shows, which is just a, a slight shift in ha- how things usually operate at the Fringe, and I think sort of indicative of the way that the Fringe is constantly evolving. Like, it's never it's, it's never still. It's always growing and changing, and that's one of the joys of it. So there's, they're programming work by Tim Crouch, They're doing a revival of one of their artistic director's own shows, The Strange Undoing of Prudencia Heart. And it's just a space that's becoming involved in the fringe that hasn't done previously. And I think that's quite interesting. Nice. So the Lyceum lightening up its programme a little bit or kind of cracking its knuckles towards the fringe. Now, we mentioned this year, hopefully you're not taking your own sandwiches, Natasha, but we mentioned that the sort of skyrocketing costs in one of the productions about money and that's kind of a reality of the festival this year, every year, or is this noticeably differently more expensive this year, everything? 
I think the cost of the fringe is an ongoing issue and it always has been for a very long time. The fact that it is very hard to take a show to the fringe and, and make a profit because of all the expenses involved. But I think this year, after two years of hiatus, the cost of accommodation is noticeably higher than it has been in the past. I was discussing this on Twitter recently with some people. That's the, a real sort of barrier for a lot of people who might have come in the past to come this year. And I think it's going to be a real crunch issue for the fringe because it has gone from being like expensive, which it always was, to like prohibitively expensive for a lot of people this year. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had the idea with the Fringe, with the festival generally and with the Fringe perhaps especially, because of the nature of some of the productions, the smaller scale of some of those productions, that it would be kind of troops of performers, friends, all kind of mucking in and renting houses or apartments and everyone kind of sleeping in the bath and stuff like that. Clearly not an amazing way to prepare yourself for performances, but are you saying that even that sort of style of everyone mucking in and sharing and caring and all the rest of it has become tougher this year noticeably as well definitely i mean yes it was always a case of sleeping in the bath or sleeping under the kitchen table i mean that's depends what your bar bill's been as well presumably precisely but i i just again anecdotally from a lot of the people i've spoken to that that either even those who are coming are coming for less time than they might have done in the past doing shorter runs than they would have in the past and that is principally to do with accommodation costs and it's 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 a wonder if this is a sustainable thing for the fringe, whether it's something they're going to have to address in the future. Partly it's to do with Airbnb and their role in the city and how many properties are uh, run as Airbnbs. But it does seem to be far more expensive this year than even in the past when it was still pretty expensive. Yeah. OK, well, we'll watch this space and see see how it works next year and see if, if there's as many applications, I suppose, and productions if people can actually afford to, to get there. We're going to end, however, on a light note, Natasha. Can you give us a couple, because people might be confused in their minds as to the duality of the dramatic performances and the comedy performances at the Fringe. They happen all at the festival. They happen all at the same time, don't they? Can you give us a couple of shout outs to a couple of comedy shows that you're looking forward to as well for your light relief, I suppose, as as drama critic at the at the stage? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the beauties of the Fringe is that all these art forms coexist together. So you have dance, you have circus, you have theatre and you have comedy. And for a lot of people, the comedy is the thing, the main um, attraction of the Edinburgh Fringe. As you say, I'm a theatre critic, so I spend most of my time seeing plays. But I, I do try and find the time to see a handful of comedy shows while I'm up there. Usually artists and who I've known for a while and I'm looking forward to seeing what they're doing next. So this year I'll be seeing Mark Thomas, who has a new show at uh, The Stand, which I'm looking forward to because he's, you know, he's a fringe veteran. He's been doing it for years and he always delivers. I'm a real fan of his. And I'm really looking forward to Josie Long's new show, Reenchantment, which is going to be at the Monkey Barrel. Again, she's a comedian who's been doing The Fringe for a long time, but she always delivers something good, something interesting. And she just often just leaves you in, in a kind of place of feeling uplifted at the end of her work. And I think that's a really important thing to have at the Fringe. Two returning heroes, it sounds like you've chosen there. Yeah, it sounds like great stuff. Natasha, have a wonderful time and please come back and tell us at some point how it all was for you. It sounds exciting and something we all need to, to do at least, at least once or twice, right? Get up and experience the Fringe in Edinburgh. Natasha, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.
Natasha Tripney there, reviews editor for The Stage. And if that's whet your appetite for the Edinburgh Fringe, we've got a morsel more to give you a real taste of live performance. Here's a story in the form of a musical encore about a funky robot provided by Jazz Emu. And his show, Jazz Emu, You Shouldn't Have, is on at Edinburgh's Gilded Balloon from the 8th to the 21st of August at 9.15pm to be precise. Before he plays this out, my thanks to Alexis Self and Natasha Tripney, and of course Monocle on Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs. This week's show was researched by Maya Renfer and edited by Callum McLean. We'll be back at the same time next week, but for the time being, from me, Robert Bounds, thanks for tuning in. And now Jazz Emu, take it away. As a world I could oblige <laughs> one more song, that must be Scientists at CERN were violently divided Is it pronounced Guidance or is it pronounced Guidance? Physically fighting bound, the Large Hadron Collider When suddenly a sound comes rumbling from inside her The vault of science opens up the lid And from within the metal thing comes out with arms and legs and shit Pokes a trumpet from its head, opens up its mouth and says Frankfurt, Tenfold He travels here through time and space To fix the shit that needs sorting Frankfurt, Tenfold The scientists put down their fists And all take up the jazz organ Pitiful, he's acting tough, but they call his bluff, saying, Give us your stuff or we'll kill you and stuff. But suddenly a sound comes from behind a funky riff giving perfect time. The thugs became masseuses and both gave the man a Gyrations. So when life gets tough and causes you to fret, if you're feeling overwhelmed by insurmountable consumer debt, don't fret on taxes, no stress with rent bills. Funk bots got saxes in place of his genitals.